Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. First order of business, at the end of last week's episode, we told you we would be discussing Dinosaur Sanctuary next. And as you can tell by the title of this episode, we lied to you. For scheduling reasons, we've moved a few things around. We're still going to be covering that very soon. But in the meantime... My replacement choice for us to discuss this week is going to be uh, JLA New World Order. This is the first four issues of the late 90s Justice League of America relaunched series that essentially decluttered it, got rid of Justice League America, Justice League Europe, Justice League International, Justice League Task Force... All that shit's gone, and it's back to being... sake. Yeah. It's back to being just a very simple and streamlined JLA. Essentially, what they do is that they go from making it a bunch of disparate teams the way that it had been for about a decade before this to include just, like, a bunch of not even second stringers, but, like, fourth and fifth stringers. And they took it back to the roots of... A team very close to the original Big Seven that the team debuted with all the way back in the 60s. We have Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman. And the only two different members is just that the Green Lanterns and the Flash are different because it's now the 90s equivalents of who's heralding those mantles as opposed to their Silver Age equivalents. This is who you think about when you see the Justice League. And creative team-wise, we... Unless you think about the cartoon. Yeah. Which just sort of goes to the point again of how iconic this team is of even the other iconic versions are very extremely close. You know, they'll only swap out like one for, say, Hot Girl or Cyborg, but this is basically the core group. And creative team-wise, we have Grant Morrison. We are finally back to Grant Morrison. It's been too long. It has been very long. It has been far too long. And yeah. We should do a Morrison month. The thing is that we could possibly even end up doing one at some point without even trying because there's so many Morrison comics we still want to talk about. A Morrison month and our job is to pick the most obscure Morrison shit we can think of. Stay tuned for our discussion of Sea Guy. But for now, (laughs) all the ones to pick. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, yeah, this is writer Grant Morrison. We have penciler Howard Porter. John Dell is the inker. Pat Garahi. Garahi. Pat, I'm sorry. As our colorist, Uh, Heroic Age is credited for separations. And then letterer Ken Lopez with editor Ruben Diaz. And yeah, that is the creative team that ushers us into a now old but then new age of Justice League. I think this title is interesting and just like how it balances a feeling of the old and the new because it was like such a stark contrast to what had immediately come before it, but it's directly pulling from classic stuff. So it's like classic and referential but not too referential and it all just feels so fresh even 20 years later and 
these are some of the best Justice League comics there are as far as I'm concerned. I have been so this is the first Justice League comic I ever read was this Morrison run. Um, I have been disappointed with every other Justice League comic I have read ever. I, I made the mistake of leading with this and the cartoon, which is the only thing that lives up to this that I have encountered. I've read a bit more Justice League, not a hell of a lot. But I think the thing is that this and the cartoon are the two high points for the franchise. Because the thing about Justice League is you start out in the early 60s and, you know, virtually nothing from that period holds up all that well. It's just standard 60s fare. And it goes on like that for a while. And there are like individual runs that are well liked. Like there's a minute in the 80s where it became a comedy book and people liked it. Oh, yeah. The what JLI days? I think I think it was um, I'm forgetting the Keith names. Giffen and um, that run. Yeah. Booster Gold and yeah. Yeah. The like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle being gay while Guy Gardner is getting punched in the face by Batman. That yes. whole thing. Yes. Yeah. And then, like, I actually liked the Ed Beans, Brad Meltzer run in the mid 2000s. It was very short. But the thing is, the reason I'm name dropping just a couple specific ones is because those are just about the only ever good ones. Because, yeah, most Justice League comics just aren't actually that great, in my opinion. It's sort of like either we're doing the core characters, but we're having trouble making it interesting or we're doing a bunch of just irrelevant characters to the point where it doesn't feel like the Justice League. It's one of those teams where I don't feel like you can change the roster up that much and still have it feel appropriate because, you know, like something like the X-Men, you can be like, oh, there's these other mutants, you know, there's a million cool X-Men. But with the Justice League, it's like if you don't have Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman, then it immediately just feels like the B team and it feels like what's the point. I've read most of them since, like, the New 52, and they all just feel like they're trying to riff on this. That's part of the problem. (laughs) Yeah, there's that. And then I think the other big problem is that because it's a team comprised of characters who have their own solo books, the series tends to struggle. It can't do anything. Yeah, it can't make gigantic changes in any of their status quos that haven't been approved of like it can sort of reflect what's happening in the individual books at best but it's the sort of book where it's really hard to make really good character writing and i think the fact that morrison manages that is one of the strings we're going to talk about today yeah i mean it's not really relevant to these four issues but like morrison would just have whatever's happening in the solo books just sort of happen off screen and next issue is just Hippolyta's Wonder Woman now for some reason. Superman is blue with electricity powers and that'll get written into the plot. But like, no, all these people have seen so much weird shit. They're never phased by it, which is another like this is the ultimate incompetent heroes being competent. Yeah, it is. This really feels like the blueprint for so much of what the cartoon did and what made the cartoon so good. The cartoon was based on this. They just replaced Aquaman because with a hot girl to get another woman on the team. And then they picked the Jon Stewart Green Lantern because he's inherently superior to all other Green Lanterns. Yeah. Kyle is like number two, but it's it's still there's a gap. Yeah. But all that sort of lead in aside... 
I guess we should go ahead and dive into the issues themselves. Uh, JLA number one, this is cover dated January 1997, and... I love this image. I really like Howard Porter's art throughout these, but it's essentially just sort of your standard opening of a team book shot of here's the full roster and they all look cool. And just like there's the gold of the logo looks really good against the green background and everyone just looks cool. Like it's not like a complicated or innovative concept for a cover, but the thing is it's just announcing the big guns are back. Superman, Batman, they're all front and center. And it's just fucking cool. I don't know. Do you want to read this comic about the seven best superheroes in the DC universe? Or are you lame? That's this cover. Yeah. And as we said before, it's just an immediate statement in contrast to the Justice League before this, which... Not to shit on the individual characters, but the likes of Fire, Ice, Metamorpho, just a bunch of characters who aren't as iconic. Metamorpho gets some cool moments in this book. Yeah, but before we even meet the Justice League in this book, I love the way this issue starts out. We start out in Washington, D.C. with the White House, with the scene of the president just sort of bitching to his aides and his assistants. And it's just a great example of Morrison's humor to me. We get a bunch of just a bunch of ranting, more or less ending in the president going, and now the sun, what happened to the sun? Why is it dark in here? And one of his assistants just goes, must be a cloud, sir. And the president going, that's one heck of a cloud. Get rid of it. Well, and then he looks out the window and there is a giant spaceship above the White House, which now I'm realizing um, is an Independence Day reference. Yeah. Because <laughs> Independence Day would have come out like just before this book would have been written and drawn. Yeah. This, I just love it so much. And like once he sees the spaceship he's just like ah well somebody called the justice league and that's our lead into the justice league actually beginning to show up but just right off the bat here's this extremely larger than life problem somebody called the jla at which point we go up to I guess it's like one of the satellite bases was... Yeah, I don't know what the status quo was before this, but uh, the status quo does get blown up immediately, so it's fine. Yeah, we see some remnants of the JLA from before this with some characters who essentially like literally say that they're cleaning their shit out so that the new team can come up and take their place but while they're on monitor duty... The only one here I know is Metamorpho. I do not know who the big guy with the red hair, mohawk, ponytail thing is, or, like, the blue lady. The blue lady is Ice. That's Ice? I'm pretty sure it's just sexified Ice, although I know there's another similar-looking character. So I, it's either Ice I or... Ice wasn't, like, physically blue. I remember her having, like, a, a human skin tone. Oh, wait, I think you're right. I think this is someone else because I think Ice might have died. The fact that I don't know for sure. I only recognize Ice when she's standing next to fire. Yeah, it's just like elevated characters are just again speaks to why the status quo is getting blown up. And we're fucking nerds, OK? It, it, we should be able to point at basically anyone on a Justice League and know who that is. 
even the era with like a vibe and vixen was more memorable than this. See, I know who they are. Exactly. But anyway, the B team is clearing their shit out from the satellite. They're like, oh shit, there's an alarm. And Metamorphos just like, no sweat. The big guy's on the case. At which point we get the shot of Superman flying into Washington, D.C. And he arrives just in time to see just like mysterious substance spheres descending from the spaceship. And then he's basically like guarding the president and the other humans on the scene. And they all watch as this alien team like shifts out of the eggs in front of them and we get eight colorful outfit superhumans all huddled together on the White House lawn and one of them is like this gold-skinned man with long flowy golden hair, a nice flowy gold cape. He announces, I am Protex. We are the Hyper Clan. We've come to save the world. And the issue title font is in the back of the splash page. And the story is simply titled Them with an exclamation point. And it's so fucking cool. So we've been extremely complimentary so far. I have two comments to make. One of them is a little negative, unfortunately. But the first one is that Grant Morrison doing a story about some aliens coming to Earth and pretending to be friends of humans, and one of them is a gold-skinned humanoid, is a Doctor Who reference. And that's a good thing, I assume. That's a good thing. Good Doctor Who reference. It's uh, The Claws of Axos, by the way, if you're wondering which story. But that also featured some shape-shifting aliens who make themselves look like gold humanoids in order to uh, befriend humanity so they can betray them. Uh, my second note is these guys are meant to look like a superhero team. And a couple of them do not look like they're evil. And a couple of them look really fucking evil. And I question their design choices in-universe. Like, I don't think that they are bad designs for these characters, but, like, the speedster guy, the one who looks like the Grim Reaper, the one who looks like a evil Transformer, the one with the bizarre entire front of her body cut out they especially look quite sinister and i question that given that they are selling themselves as a superhero team and not a supervillain team i suppose that's a fair point you're not wrong but they look good yeah it's like you're not wrong but also i don't personally care because they all look so cool and like by the end of this issue we know that they're villains anyway so it's not like it's a, a sat-on thing, but I'm just like, from the in-universe perspective, those are not the designs that I would have gone with if I was a shape-shifting alien who could look like anything. Sure. But that Grim Reaper really kicks ass. It's a good Grim Reaper villain. If he turned into that later because he stopped caring or something, but it's fine. I also just love... Like the pacing and placement of the title and it just being them, just like the villains have arrived. <laughs> it's just so simple and perfect. And we get Protex essentially speaking through the television coverage to the world and just announcing that he and the Hyper Clan are aliens who have come from far away to help save the planet Earth because back on their home planet, the 
populists didn't do enough to save their planet from threats like climate change and things like that. And they don't want to let anything like that ever happen again. So here they are to help us. So right off the bat, we're introducing the theme in the story of like real world problems within the context of a superhero comic. And what are we going to do with those? And are those things that can realistically be solved? Why Superman no punch climate change? Yeah, it's raising that sort of thing immediately. And we'll get a bit more into what it has to say about that as the plot gets there. But essentially, the opening salvo of the story is that the Hyper Clan shows up. They're like, we're going to save the world. And they basically convince the world that they're doing that. There's a whole thing where they appear to, I don't know the word, just like bring life to the Sahara Desert. They irrigate it? They do an X-Men Red. Well, they do a planet-sized X-Men, except with the moon. They just do it to the Sahara Desert. And just a whole thing of, oh, it's raining, and here's all the children just being so excited. And, you know, we're really going to fix the world. Superman's like, I don't know if that's a sustainable thing to actually attempt to do with the way that ecology works. Literally, Superman shows up on the scene, is also on camera, has some great quotes, just like, The Sahara is green today, but can it be sustained or are people being given false hope in the name of spectacle? And he's being realistic and... This may be a cosmetic change. You know, this could have some sociological implications you're not considering. (laughs) It's literally just him being like, Huh, this desert that's been the way it has for as long as... Anyone alive has been alive far longer than that. Maybe there's reasons that aren't actually so simple to just snap your fingers and fix. And the humans are all reacting just like, smells like sour grapes to me, Superman. And essentially the human beings of Earth are just like, well, they're fixing shit and you can't. So maybe you're just sour grapes. You know, it feels weird to me um, if if these really were aliens from another planet who are like, you know, you could save everyone on the planet. Um, but our people didn't do enough. You feel like they point out stuff like the fact that world hunger only exists because we just don't give food to people. We force people to buy it. Well, the thing is... <laughs> That the We have uh, enough food to sustain the human population. That's not actually a problem. Yeah. But of course, the hyper clan, as we will see, is not actually here to save the world. They're just here to sway humanity into a sense of comfort. But yeah, Superman's getting heckled. Protex plays the like nice, fair new guy in the block says, you're being unfair to Superman, gentlemen. I understand his reservations, and I'd be glad to discuss them. If he wants to know where to find me, I'll be out fixing the world. And it's just, it's like great, like, politician talk. You know, it's great. And then very next page, we get, you know, if suddenly fixing the Sahara Desert wasn't a clue enough that maybe something's not right here, We're just going to make it real clear by showing the Hyper Clan do a mass execution of supervillains. I have no idea who the fuck this guy is. Yeah. He looks kind of like how Zod looks in the comics now, but it's not Zod because I don't think Zod was even a thing in the 90s because Superman was the only Kryptonian allowed. So I'm just like, who the fuck is this? 
it is whoever was low level enough that Morrison's allowed to kill them. <laughs> and we get like the news coverage. This is the X Corp of this book. Yeah, we get there's a lot of like news coverage and like panels overlaying like TV announcer voices throughout the series or within the story arc, at least. I mean, but we specifically get like TV coverage being like the Joker's in hiding and essentially just being like all the supervillains that matter have hidden. Okay, when you can't see the Joker, that's when you need to be most worried about the fucking Joker. We all know this. But for now, we have plenty to worry about. Joker goes into hiding and Batman immediately shits his pants. Yeah. He won't be back this episode, though. In the meantime, we zoom up to the satellite headquarters where we have a mix of the old team and some of the new team. We have specifically Metamorpho is still here, along with the rest of the B squad from earlier and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern of the incoming team. This is uh, Kyle, by the way, and he's like been Green Lantern for maybe 10 minutes after. Is he the Green Lantern right after Hal Jordan kills them all? He's the one that like replaces Hal, yeah. And like yeah. basically like replaces the entire core. Because the thing is that when Kyle starts out, it's like the core has been decimated and he's basically the only one. Because Hal killed them all. Yeah. I mean, uh, parallax. Retcons and DC bullshit. We don't care about Jeff John's shit on this podcast. We sure the fuck don't. But except for I will thank Jeff John's for his work in elevating Black Adam. Oh, God. And for just helping Black Adam so much and paving the way to help us get that film. The listeners, Chris and I saw Black Adam in theaters about a week ago. And I heartily recommend that you go see it. I had a great time. What about you? Look, at the very least, just wait until it's on HBO Max. And then you could watch some good movies afterwards to get the taste out of your mouth. Yeah, notice I didn't say it was good, but I had a great time. (laughs) (laughs) The movie was an absolute fucking disaster. (laughs) But anywho, um, yeah, this is Kyle Rayner and... The thing about Kyle on this team is that his inclusion provides the Justice League with sort of a rookie character who feels like in over his head, you know, he's like, oh shit, I'm really playing with the big dogs. We get a little bit of like derision from the Flash specifically being like this fucking rookie is not good for anything. Yeah, Wally, you're the second most rookie member of the team, so shut up. To be fair, Wally had been Kid Flash since he was like five. So, (laughs) but yeah, the thing about Kyle is that he manages to add a newbie to the team, even while we're doing the big seven dynamics. So it's a very cool sort of thing. And while him and Wonder Woman and the Loser Squad are on the satellite, they realize that basically invaders have popped out of nowhere. That's going to be a repeated theme that... Shit just keeps popping out of nowhere now that the Hyper Clan have arrived. And the hull is breached. They are under attack. And Kyle and Diana are going to try and stay behind to fight off the mystery invaders while uh, Metamorpho is going to do what he can to get the has-beens back safely to Earth. We get like a good moment uh, showing what we were just talking about where Kyle like calls her Wonder Woman and she's like, call me Diana. We're in the same league. 
And Kyle's just like easy for you to say, you know, just fun. We have group dynamics already going on. And basically what follows is just a bunch of Kyle and Wonder Woman beating shit up in space. And it looks cool. Meanwhile, all the escape pods are down. So Metamorpho, who like his power is he can shapeshift and he can also turn himself into different like chemical things. Like he can reshape his chemical structure or whatever and like create substances. It's kind of like Husk, except if it could do... I guess like more amorphish shifting, like they both can do the like various substance thing, but I love that we feel like we need to explain metamorpho, but we can just say who Husk is. Yeah. <laughs> A-list character Husk. Uh, uh Metamorpho at least was in like a Batman cartoon once, so like people may actually recognize the visual. He's the guy who's got like a different limb that's like a different thing. Like one is like rock and one is water and stuff. That one. Yeah, it's like every body part is different. Like, you know, like one limb is orange, one is purple. It's that sort of thing. Basically, he can turn into all sorts of shit. And he basically turns himself into an escape pod, fills himself up with shock absorbing fluid and like dies on impact. Um, I think partly because he couldn't remember the like chemical combination for like heat shields for getting through the atmosphere. But it's it's a really cool sequence. Yeah, it's Best like Metamorph whoever did. Yeah, it's like him struggling to continually shift into various elements to like try and make it through orbit, like descending through the atmosphere without killing his basically his inhabitants because his teammates are like wrapped up inside of him. It's really cool. And I think this is like the highlight that Morrison does of sort of giving the league before this sort of like a nice send off, you know, like we've talked a lot of shit about the justice leagues before this. And I think just in terms of the zeitgeist, part of why this relaunch happens is because a lot of people didn't care about the justice leagues before this, but I like how Morrison works in a way for like there to be a last hurrah and a way that just sort of, you know, gives the characters some respect and like lets Metamorpho go out in a really cool way. Like it just feels like a nice sort of continuity shifting of the guard that's not just directly shitting on like the creators that came before them. And, you know, Metamorpho comes back eventually and then does the exact same thing in Grant Morrison's Batman run. It's a cool idea. <laughs> does it off panel? It's just reference because it's how Morrison solves one of the cliffhangers from an issue is just, well, Metamorpho was there and they were in space. So Metamorpho just did the same thing that he did last time. <laughs> if it works, it works. Meanwhile, essentially, with the outer space battle with Diana and Kyle, the end result is that the satellite gets completely blown up and... Basically, the attackers disappear. They still have no idea what they're up against. And the League is mostly meeting all up together to talk about what's happening. We get Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, and Martian Manhunter all unite. So the only one who's not here by the very end of issue one is Aquaman. And yeah, essentially, the League is just continuing to watch news coverage and try to figure out what's going on. It's continuing to become 
clear that the hyper clan is trouble. Like Superman remarks that Protex has been lying because Superman can like measure all the impossible like heartbeat and breath rate shit. So he knows when people are lying. Considering he's an alien, I feel like that wouldn't whatever. <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, it's just like I mean, oh. it's already pseudoscience that he's like a lie detector because lie detectors are pseudoscience. But then you throw in the fact that this is an alien biology, and you're like, well, how the fuck do you whatever? Yeah, it's like lie detectors are pseudoscience, but within the context of Superman can do basically anything, I'm willing to put up with the pseudo super science from Superman. But maybe he can see truth. Sure. He has truth vision. <laughs> sure. He I can. Like you, you give that line to Wonder Woman, it makes more sense. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, point is, they remark that, like, you know, they're all met up, uh, they're waiting for Aquaman or Batman to respond. And then Batman is just like, I'm here. I've been here for an hour. Didn't think I'd make it, but Gotham's been quiet. He descends from the rafters. <laughs> He's just been hanging out on the ceiling. And. There's so much that's packed into this page and a half of Batman that's so good. I will first point out that Porter does the absolute must-do of Batman art for me, where Batman has pointy ears. Long pointy ears. Yeah, long pointy claws on his gloves. Also love that. And also not... Super extreme, but a little bit of a point to the shoulders on the cape as well. He's just very pointy. It's very fun. Like the shot of him with just like reaching his hand out with these pointy fingers is so funny to me. And I specifically love the way he's gotten the drop on Superman. We get Superman saying, strange, I didn't hear your heartbeat. And Batman goes, gadget worked. The the little HH is a verbal take that. Morrison and only Morrison gives Batman, but ever since, at the very least, this issue, their Batman does all the time, and it's great. And then Damien gets a little titia. Yeah. The thing about Batman here throughout this story is that he's both incredibly funny and incredibly competent, and he's just such a joy every time he's on page. I think Morrison realized that, like, the hardest sell of this lineup in the 90s, especially since Batman had spent, like, all the time since the 80s being, like, a realistic crime fighter who keeps fighting street-level crime, and, like, you know, he's an urban legend in Gotham, was, like, selling the idea of Batman standing alongside fucking Superman and the Flash and Wonder Woman, these, like, literal godlike beings, and still being, like, capable. So Batman is now the- this is- the invention of ultra capable super batman who can do anything yeah and like this is batman if he has enough prep time can do anything the thing is though that within the context of this run and from morrison i don't think it comes off as like obnoxious you know like it oh, it's feels fabulous. yeah it's just so much fun i think with the sort of like prep time batman i think there's a way that can be done that can end up just feeling kind of like lazy writing of just like don't have to explain it because batman can do anything but here it works and it helps that just again morrison has such an excellent sense of humor about the character and it's all just very fun and the end of the issue yeah it's just batman showing up with the rest of the team and just being like 
it's time to declare war. These bitches are bad news. And issue two opens up with the Antarctic, where here and then in other locations across the world, the Hyper Clan are constructing multiple gigantic fortresses, which, yeah, surely couldn't be anything bad happening when the sudden way more powerful than humanity aliens show up and just, you know, they just have their little headquarters all over the earth, which, of course, the Hyper Clan are like, we're going to have all of these HQs so that we can respond really quickly to places around the world when you need our help. You know, nothing sinister going on. Uh, they they take the name Watchtower for themselves, which is uh, that's appropriating some Justice League stuff. Hyper Clan, you dicks. They are very much waging public relations war against the Justice League with the whole like, see how we can fix all these problems that the Justice League never did? Trust us. You know, don't worry about checking our power. We're we're here for you. And Oh yeah, it turns out that all the stations are mind control bases <laughs> and they're like pumping out mental commands to everyone on the planet. Yeah, I can't remember like where exactly like explicitly reveal that but yeah it's like it's like right here right after we see them for the first time um flash talks about it because they've been trying to figure out how they've gotten everyone on board and we're like it's probably like mind control frankly because it's weird that everyone was that okay with the executions yeah it's like their pr warfare like is great but also this is a comic book we have four issues we need to like just make sure Yes, there is no opposition. There's mind control. Don't worry about it. Essentially, from here, what's going to happen is that the JLA is going to split up into teams to take down these fortresses. And we just get a bunch of sequences of them being badass in their respective places to include that every time we switch to one of the members, we get the inclusion of like that character's logo of just like... The classic Wonder Woman logo, you know, Superman in the nice, big, bold font. Uh, same with Aquaman, same with everyone else. Maybe it's just me. I just, I love how bold and, like, frankly, unnecessary but cool the logo inclusions is. It's like, the super friends are here, bitch. The characters that you like, the real bitches, they're here. Aquaman shows up where Wonder Woman is, and basically he's just like, I don't respond to calls from you all. I don't take orders. I do my own shit in the sea. And Diana's just like, listen here, you stupid bitch. The hyper clan wants to take over the earth. The ocean is on earth. Fucking help me. (laughs) And he's just like, no. But then he does. Yeah, this is hook hand Aquaman era. So it is coolest looking Aquaman, but also the Aquaman I know absolutely the least about, which is saying something. Yeah, it's like, this is definitely specifically the visual basis for the cartoon Aquaman. And I have mixed feelings about the design. It's like, I like the sort of metal elements, but Aquaman in this period really feels like they're doing everything they can to try and fight against the reputation built up by Super Friends. They're like, don't even let them look the same, like... Those orange scales need to go. And 
this is what they're gonna do to Jason Momoa. They'll chop his arm off in the next one. God. It's like the look Actually that movie made the orange scales look really fucking cool though, so they shouldn't. They should just keep those. Yeah, I'm glad the orange scales have like been making a comeback and that like this wasn't forever because it's not that I dislike this outfit, but weeks of we need to be masculine and cool and Aquaman's silly, but no, we're going to prove he's not silly. Aquaman's cool. He has a hook hand. And I'm just kind of like, shut up. Let him be orange and silly. Silly and cool can be the same thing. Um, case in point, if you want a dumb but fun superhero movie from the DC Universe to watch. Watch Black Adam. Watch Aquaman. Aquaman's the good one. Watch Black Adam. Anyway. Sending out my mind control beams to the listeners just saying watch Black Adam. But... Basically, Wonder Woman and Aquaman end up getting their asses kicked by some Hyper Clan members. Yeah, they keep like doing stuff that isn't exactly what you would expect them to be able to do based on the initial powers they present. It's like they all have a bunch of powers. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have Flash, Wally West, and Green Lantern Kyle. Specifically, we have Flash pulling up his glove to check his watch and go, what happened to you? I've been waiting here for ages. Kyle goes, yeah, like three minutes because Flash is giving Green Lantern shit for not being able to keep up with him and only being able to go across the globe in three minutes. He has no time for this young whippersnapper. And as soon as they arrive, the Hyper Clan speedster... As an important note, John is supposed to be with the Martian Manhunter, but he ain't. Yeah, he told them he was going to meet up with them, but he has not yet shown up. But who does show up is Zoom. That, that is such a good fucking name. That's Z, the German U with an umlaut, M. Zoom, the speedster <laughs> of the hyperclan. Uh, if there's a way to bring this guy and just this guy back into the comics, please do it. <laughs> It's a delightful name. Like we should have a second zoom. Who's going to take over this legacy mantle? Yeah. Grant Morrison is so funny. Like, you know, like people talk about so many good things about Morrison deservedly. But I think the thing that like doesn't get brought up enough with just how much everyone's just like, oh, the concepts and the reality shit and like the continuity weaving. Morrison's so funny. We need to talk about that all the time. <laughs> like, but yeah, um, Flash leaves to take on Zoom to do their speedster thing. Meanwhile, Green Lantern gets got by the tank looking bitch and a sort of just like water powery looking bitch. I love the way the tank looks. As you said earlier, he doesn't look like I'm in disguise to be a superhero, but it's a very fun mech look. Meanwhile, John is out in space and he meets up with Protex and Protex is like, seize your destiny. Join us. The humans don't love you. How could they? You don't even show your true form. You change to look more human. Betray them. Come to the dark side. And before John does any sort of answer, we immediately shift to this two page spread of Superman and Batman and the Batplane just soaring through the skies and this is cool even now 
I have to imagine if I was a kid reading this in 1996, 97, that this would be the coolest thing I had ever seen. And if I was reading this in 96, 97, maybe I would even think Superman's mullet was cool. I don't think we've mentioned on air yet that Superman looks like classic Superman, but just has a mullet. It's one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen. Thank God they did the stupid Superman red, Superman blue shit, because when he came back from that, he didn't have the mullet anymore. I don't really mind the mullet, but that might just be because of how used to it I am because of seeing these when I was so young. Although I don't prefer it, I do prefer short hair Superman. I I don't care. Just give him a decent haircut, for God's sake. He can have long hair, whatever. Yeah, it just kind of looks... Yeah, mullets are very hard to pull off, especially... This is like a Rachel Summers haircut, but for some reason it's on Superman. The thing with mullets is it's like, I like them when they're styled with sort of like, where like part of the hair is shaved and then there's like a contrast between like long and short, but this is just sort of long, unruly hair all around. This is genuinely Superman's hair just grew while he was dead hair, and then he came back and he never bothered to cut it. That's canon, by the way. That is where this haircut came from. Literally. This is just because this is post-death of Superman, and he came back with longer hair because I guess his hair grew while he was dead. Yeah. As they're chatting while they're flying, they're just talking about how astute Martian Manhunter is because he's the one that, like, assigned the pairs, and they're just like, lol, good job on him pairing up Green Lantern and Flash. They don't like each other. (laughs) And then quickly they get got by the Grim Reaper Hyper Clan member and then female Hyper Clan number two. Just a really generic design. Hers is one of the more boring ones to me. It's just blue and white and not distinct. She's got, well, like when she's initially introduced, she's got perfectly white like skin. And then in this, she's got a human skin tone. I don't know. Maybe she forgot because if I mean the shapeshifters. None of them actually look like this. Yeah, but basically um, Batman's plane is going to crash after sending out a ton of missiles and shit. And meanwhile, before Superman can resume anything, we have Protex showing up with the kryptonite to knock Superman out. We get a shot of him like dragging Superman along the ground by his cape to just show we got Superman. Yeah, issue two just basically ends with the Justice League having been entirely taken down. The only one we haven't really seen get their ass beat is just John Jones with the whole, is he going to betray them? And that's a wrap on the first half of the story. Well, and they don't check up on Batman's plane because it's on fire. But also, they don't need to worry about Batman. He's an ordinary human. What the hell can he do? Yeah, just, he's just a guy. Even if he escapes the flames, you know, it's cold here. Because this is specifically in the Antarctic. He'll die. You know, you can just count on Batman dying off screen. He's just a human. He's just a human. He's not even enhanced. What can he do against us? Yeah. We will soon find out. (laughs) In issue number three, we essentially have the Hyper Clan in one of their bases. They're all gloating, getting the Justice League unconscious set into just like a gigantic torture device, frankly. And we get Batman sneaking around the base. 
I love this dialogue on this page. The Hypercline thinks I'm dead. That gives me an edge. I'm only human. They don't believe I can penetrate their stronghold. They don't believe I pose a threat. Wrong. And again, the Howard Porter art with the hyper dramatic, super long and super pointy cape. It's so fucking cool. It's like, this is the pinnacle of Batman for me visually. It's like, you know, I don't want toned down more quote unquote realistic Batman suits. I want a bitch to be pointy and flowy and it's just really fun. He's got the oval too. I love the oval. They need to bring the oval back. Yeah, it is. They did the yellow outline on the symbol for a while and I thought that was pretty good, but I think the oval is even better. It's just a really good pop against all of the black and blue. And I keep mentioning Porter specifically, but also I'll note that the inker and colorist also do a really good job just making it even sharper with just really nice shading gradations, really nice contrast between like blues and blacks and oranges here. Porter's compositions throughout this entire story, I really love that there's just always a sense of action Like, it really feels like watching a good cartoon where bitches are always moving. You know, like, the way that the Flash runs is always really energetic. You know, Batman dropping through the ceiling, capes moving, Wonder Woman's lasso swirling around, character's hair swirling. Everything is just in a constant state of flux that just is really kinetic and just really pleasing to look at and, like, carries momentum forward. Yeah, it's like every single shot of any of the characters is trying to be the coolest shot of this character you've ever seen, but in like a good way. Yeah, like it works, like it's not overdone or anything. It's just like, it's time for a fun superhero comic and we're giving it to you. Uh, The one other currently three member of the Justice League that we've seen is The Flash, who is currently in a fight with Zoom, which is... It's it's very much a speedster battle. Um, Flash is able to figure out that Zoom, while he's really fucking fast, is not actually connected to the speed force. So he's able to, like, super speed past him by using the speed force. Basically laps the bitch. He laps him around the planet and then punches the shit out of him, like, right next to where Mount Rushmore is. <laughs> like, they're running past Mount Rushmore when he hits him in the face, and he lands in Africa next to a bunch of zebras. He specifically is doing a bunch of narration about, like, the mass build up when he's speeding, and we get the lines, Wonder how fast he's traveling, at least seven miles per second. That's escape velocity, by the way. Flash fact. This bitch has fully punted him through the atmosphere across continents. He helps a guy catch a pot and then leaves to try and help out Green Lantern, who is currently being choked out by a lasso from the the guy who's got, like... I, he does have a water look because of, like, the way the light is sort of drawn on his costume, but he's seen... His, like, the powers he's pretending to have seem to be, like, tech-based. Like, he's got a robot arm and a lasso... Yeah, I think he's one of the weaker hyper clan designs, largely just the incongruity. Because looking at him, you would think water powers, like it screams Aquaman villain. But then he sends out his wannabe lasso, you know, like the visual shit is like 
half would be the Aquaman foe, half would be the Wonder Woman foe. All around, it's just not very coherent. But in the fight, Kyle, at one point, using his ring, does a projection of a giant mech, like manga anime-style mech. And one thing I love about Kyle Rayner in these comics and Howard Porter's use of his powers is that Kyle doesn't just do like light beams and shit like that. Like Kyle is constantly doing unique constructs. There's an earlier issue here where he does like a dinosaur. It's all just very fun and adds to the sense of these books just feeling very fresh. And we're going to actually take advantage of Green Lantern's power set in terms of a visual creativity standpoint. Well, Kyle is specifically a cartoonist, whereas most of the time Green Lanterns are like test flight people or what was John? John Stewart was an architect. So his constructs like make sense structurally. Hal's are like really efficient. Kyle's are really imaginative. Yeah. It's like the simpler Lantern stuff, like it makes sense in universe. To just make a big fist. Yeah, but... It's cooler if you make a Big Mac. (laughs) Exactly, like Kyle and his just artist stance is like an excuse to go, we're going to go balls to the wall and use this concept to the fullest in a way that's really fun. And yeah, I guess I misspoke at the end of last issue and I was like, they all got got because they haven't all quite got got. Flash and Green Lantern are fine for now. Uh, well, I mean, they beat the guys, they run in and then the guys come back and then they are got. <laughs> yeah, I preemptively said about their getting got, but now bitches are really getting got. They, they do. They do well and get a little bit more characterization before they then get their asses kicked. Yeah, just a bunch of the sort of buddy dynamic of we're fighting together, making quips, still giving each other shit, but we're both Justice Leaguers. We're the best. We are A-list superheroes. Meanwhile, or not meanwhile, but shortly after this, we get the Hyper Clan in their base with this gigantic fucking needle torture device that they're loading the knocked out Justice League into. It's the flower of wrath. When the petals close, the agonies are indescribable. I love just all the little things that they work in here that frankly didn't even necessarily need to be here or that it could easily. They could have just been strapped to some chairs. Yeah, but just like, let's give you yet another ridiculous over the top moment and it's fun. And... Basically, yeah, like some defense drones have gone offline. So a mortal who's the Grim Reaper looking one goes to go check it out because he's like, what if it's that Batman guy? I'll I'll, I'll go check just to make sure. Yeah. Protex is like, well, he's just a mortal, but if he's there, bring him on and he'll go on the Flower of Wrath too. And we get a mortal running around being like, I can taste your pheromones, Batman. You know, you can't hide from me. And then obligatory panel where he finds them, Batman half in the shadows. We then cut back to the other Hyper Clan members being like, haven't heard from a mortal in a while. We need to go check on him. And Superman strapped down of the kryptonite is just smiling as they all talk about how Batman's just a man. So they, they go upstairs and fully a mortal is hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> Tied up up in the bat rope (laughs) with a 
notes strapped to his chest. It's a bat note, and it's held on by a bat pin. Saying, I know your secret. And uh, there's a smell, but they can't quite recognize. And they come into room, and Batman is standing in the middle of what we're about to find out is a ring of gasoline. He has them all walk up to him, and they're like, well, we don't know how you beat a mortal, but we're going to beat the shit out of you now. And he says, well... You're Martians, aren't you? Super strength, flight, invulnerability, shape-shifting, mind control. You're Martians, like my friend John. You know what the one thing is that Martians are vulnerable to? Fire. And he pulls out a fucking matchbook. And is they're like, well, you can't hurt us with that. It's just a match. He's like, sure. And they're like, oh shit, hang on, that's gasoline. <laughs> the whole place lights on fire. And they're all surrounded by flames. And Batman just cracks his knuckles and says, ready when you are. <laughs> He's just a man. This is the coolest fucking shit. Yeah, like, it is very fun, competent, badass Batman in this story. And yes, that really is, like, Martian Manhunter's abilities are really that varied, and his weakness really is that hilarious. Yeah, Martians effectively can do anything. They just can't go near fire. Protex is still gloating to Superman as just like, Everything's good. We have all the rest of our ships, all the rest of our forces. We were just an advanced squad. Our cloaking technology is going to go down and our full force is going to come down and just get the Earth God. We win. There's 70 more of us. That's enough to take control of the whole planet, which like fair. But yeah, that's the end of issue number three. We're now going into issue number four, the end of the storyline. We didn't really mention... Earlier, there's another sort of through line in this story that had mentions earlier, where before the Martians attacked, there was a recurrent theme of, oh, that fire-themed superhero? Yeah, they were sick. Their powers are gone. Just a bunch of stuff of, oh, Fire got sick. She can't help. Firehawk got sick. People being like, who the fuck is Firehawk? But they're sick. The Martians- Who the fuck is Firehawk? I think Firehawk is a female superhero whose design is like half orange, half blue, and it's sort of like mixing fire and bird stuff. I might also be mixing up with another fire superhero. Do you think one of them is just Morrison making up a new character just to see if anyone notices? I think these are all real, but th there's just a bunch of fire superheroes, <laughs> but may as well be. Yeah, but how D-list can I get? Can I get can I reach the E-list? Can I find an E-list character to name drop here? I mean, the thing is that some of the characters in issue one were so E-list that we can't name drop them because we don't know them. <laughs> Who the fuck is that guy with the weird like mohawk ponytail? I think he's the one that was like weirdly homophobic to Obsidian for a minute. <laughs> oh, God. But anyway, <laughs> meanwhile, while Protex is gloating, Superman is just thinking to himself, this kryptonite's been here a long time and I'm still alive. So that probably means it's not fucking real. And this is in my head, at which point he just basically bursts the illusion, sends his heat vision toward the Martian. He's like, oh, you're Martians. It's a mind thing. This all makes sense now. Fortunately, I have heat vision. He breaks free and 
basically just a battle royale from this point. Um, oh yeah, they know that they they thought that this is depending on which DC continuity you're most familiar with. In, in most of the comics continuities, the only Martian who's supposed to still be around is Jean, just like in the cartoon. But I guess I don't know if you've watched like Young Justice or something, they do a very different thing. But anyway, yeah, they the specifically part here superman's like oh it's it's weird that you're martians aren't they all supposed to be dead but also you suck so i'm gonna kick your ass yeah john jones specifically is a green martian and these are the white martians and when they're in their base forms not shape-shifted which we'll see some as they fully reveal themselves in this issue in the final fight they are white like the name says and they have like a bunch of like mouths in weird places again ignore entirely anything you may have seen in young justice when we're describing the green green and white martian dichotomy here yeah these white martians are just basically just full-on sci-fi evil race just like oh yeah this type of alien they're literally all evil and they had conflict with the green martians because they were evil this isn't an x-men style race metaphor like it is in in young justice I, I say this solely because the green white Martian thing is a big part of that show. Yeah, yeah, here they're they're just baddies. Here they're just baddies. It's it's just a very different take. Don't worry about it. Meanwhile, there's a whole thing where one of the hyper clan shapeshifts and reveals themselves to be John Jones, who never betrayed the team, has just been waiting around to help release his teammates and join them for the final battle. More and more fighting. Superman's fighting Protex, who reveals he's like the first to shift into a white Martian form. And I love the fluidity of just how the shape shifting is rendered. It's monstrous. We specifically get him like with his elastic molecular structure trying to just coat Superman's body. He says, can you feel me filling you up? Can you feel me sealing you off from the outside world? I can penetrate your blood vessels, enter your brain. And that is all very horrifying and a great implication of the powers. It's not going to do any good because it's Superman, but it's a cool moment. Well, this Superman does need to breathe. This is the Superman needs to breathe in space, needs like a, a breathing apparatus in space era. That changes constantly. Yeah. I will say, flipping through just like the pages of this fight, one of the only, calling it a con feels a bit overstated because it doesn't bother me that much. But just a thing I notice that I will say is that Wonder Woman's boobs and like how low down her like golden like chest plate is, you know, and just like the ratio of cleavage Wonder Woman in this run is always about to have a nip slip. That is the strongest built outfit, like metal bra on the face of the earth, because her tits are always right there lunging at you. Well, this is the era where they took her classic swimsuit costume and then they were like, how can we make the specific cut of this swimsuit as close to nudity as possible? while it's still technically covering up the same amount of stuff. So, like, instead of it being underpants that, like, cover her butt cheeks and, you know, just, like, sort of where her legs are, the line just comes up to above her hips. 
It becomes a thong. It becomes, yeah, like a high-riding thong. And then the the metal W, double W, like, eagle thing drops down lower and comes out a bit farther. And, I mean, obviously her boobs are, like, the same size as her head. And I think this is just how the suit looked in the 90s, unfortunately. It's very, like, how do we take this already skimpy outfit? And because it's 97... What's the most we can make Wonder Woman look like Witchblade while still being wearing the Wonder Woman outfit? Yeah, like, I think her classic costume, if you draw it properly, is absolutely fine. I mean, we did the George Perez. We talked about it, and I think that it looks great there, and it's just a cool look. And here, it's really pushing it. Like, she gets to be a badass and do cool things, but also, I would say out of the main leaguers... She gets less to do in pretty much all of Morrison's run than anyone aside from Aquaman, which is a shame. Yeah, like in the run and in the story with the brief dialogue she gets, it's like the Morrison Porter Wonder Woman is a very powerful, very competent. There's a constant sense that like all the characters are like in awe of what a force of nature she is, you know, so she's never damseled. She's not like a weakling because she's the girl, you know, it's competent Wonder Woman, but she doesn't really get to have much depth of character, which combined with those titties is just kind of disappointing. It's one of the cons, I would say here. And talking about the run overall, there is like that long period where she's just sort of replaced by her mother for, I guess, something happening in her book. I don't fucking know for a while. So like maybe that impacted some plans Morrison had to do a Wonder Woman plot that then becomes confusing because what do you do when it's suddenly an entirely different person who's Wonder Woman in your book? But um, there's really not much going on here. It's a bit of a shame. Yeah, that whole thing couldn't have helped either, yeah. But basically, everybody gets freed. Aquaman has a moment where, again, they're having to overcompensate for the Super Friends reputation. Zoom is talking to him and goes, What can you do? You can't fly or run fast, can you? Your skin may be tough, but not so tough I can't just cut through. And Aquaman beacon of overcompensating late 90s heterosexuality goes let me think i can locate your brain's basal ganglia the part inherited from your marine ancestors and just for starters i can give you a seizure sea readers aquaman is cool he doesn't talk to fish he gives people seizures can you do that to everyone he fights following this logic yes but i also just realized did martians also evolve just entirely parallel brain structures to humans does this martian have a basal ganglia this is not a human maybe since this martian's shapeshifted to look like a human he's given himself human-esque internal organs because clearly their internal organs are like at least somewhat variable right i don't fucking know yeah that's the that's the science of shapeshifting for you. It's like, I love these Shape books. Shapeshifters make no damn sense, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I love these books. You know, I've mentioned a couple. I'm not even going to call them grievances, just a couple things that aren't perfect. I love these books. They're so fun that I even don't care about 
frankly, how stupid Aquaman is here. And like he feels almost sort of like self-serious to a degree that none of the other characters do. It's giving like emo. Maybe the joke. Yeah, like Morrison is actually mocking the way that Aquaman was written around this time by going pushing it too far on purpose. Yeah, I suppose that's a way you could read it. He drops like a one liner and is like, oh wait, why did I say that? That's fair, yeah. If you read it as like intentional comedy, it, it then it would be like parodying the rest of the DC line for Aquaman at the time. What else do you do if you have to write Aquaman with a hook hand and anger issues and long hair and a big manly beard? Fair. Meanwhile, we get one of the moments I talked about earlier of just Wonder Woman's just going to be competent and everyone's going to be in awe and everyone just kind of watches her beat up on the obligatory has to be a female white Martian for Wonder Woman to fight. So we have in orbit Wonder Woman punching and using her lasso to tie up a white Martian with big old titties. And like a mouth on her stomach. So her titties almost look like eyes, which is quite funny, actually. It's a really funny panel. It's so that is the funniest face I've seen in a while. It's fierce, honestly. Like, you know, moments here of like Wonder Woman and Aquaman, there are bits where it's like, yeah, like it is stupid, but it's so fun. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, like you said, with like the Aquaman humor and the one liner and stuff, it's like even the parts that are dumb are so joyous to behold. And yeah, there's just a bunch of the White Martians just talking to Superman and everyone else as they're fighting and just being like, we are superior, rah, rah, rah. Don't you know that all the ordinary people are inferior to you? Yeah. And Superman's like, yeah, I don't really give a shit. (laughs) Yeah, like bringing one of the Martians down through like the center of the earth and just beating their asses all like that. Uh, there's a great bit where Batman shows up just dragging three of them on his, like, the end of the bat rope, having just kicked the, like, everyone's been fighting, like, one, and Batman's taken out three, and one woman shows up having taken Primade, which was, like, the girl one that she fought down from orbit, and she's surprised how long Primade could hold her breath, uh, at which point they're all like, well, how long can you hold your breath? And she's just like, longer than Primade. And Batman pipes in that he can hold his breath for three minutes and 15 seconds. And you'd be surprised to know why he knows that. This immediately after Kyle asking Wonder Woman how long she can hold her breath and her going, obviously longer than Primade. What a strange question. Why should anyone know how long they can hold their breath? And Batman's just like, he he he, I'm a fucking freak. I know how long I can. <laughs> That's because he probably buried it. Well, as you know, he, he has canonically buried himself alive before just to find out how to escape from being buried alive so that if anyone did it to him he could escape yeah he's fucking nuts it's scheming flamboyant batman it's fun and basically they all wrap the white martians up they save the day superman takes advantage of like the tv equipment and shit that the martians had been using for their broadcasts Um, I suppose I should say specifically the Justice League like took down the hyper clan. There's still the rest of the Martian forces attacking the Earth. Superman gives a heroic speech just being like, this is not the time to panic. Fight the invaders. 
everyone can do this together. The Martian fire. So, you know, yeah, hold up your fire. And we get like these two shots listening to the broadcast. The first is like just these people listening. And the second is them all like waving their bits of flame into the air as all of humankind is going to come together to end the Martians. It's real cool. Yeah. A bit later in the still zone, we essentially have the Martians put in cryo sleep or something like that. Uh, Superman is talking to Jean and is just like, it's up to you what to do. Who else can judge them? They're your people. And Martian Manhunter says, there are methods, punishments. You may not approve, but I must be the final arbiter. You do not know the culture. You were not there. As Martian Manhunter looks right at the reader and says, I will be torturing these bitches. He doesn't torture them mostly there are methods um but anyway they go to the sahara which has dried out and everything that grew there is now dead because of course it fucking is and like the whole team is here to be badasses and cool from now on and we get a final one page oh and 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 they've built a watchtower on the moon which is a cool visual um the absolute 1997-ness of just using a picture of the planet Earth instead of fucking drawing it. So now it looks really weird and incongruous and also like a different image quality than everything else. Yeah, I kind of love it, but yeah. <laughs> it's It hits a sort of nostalgia for me of just very weird image mashups. I'm so glad they stopped doing this, though. Oh, yeah, like, I'm glad it's not the norm, but just as a throwback, it's fun to me. I'm glad that by the early 2000s, they were like, you know, what? we're going to fucking draw planets again. Yeah. And the Justice League, the Justice League looks out for their new headquarters at the real Earth. It's just like nice view. And we get an epilogue of this man, this seemingly human Bob Gray and He's just washing his face before work, just a bunch of narration being like, ever since that invasion, he just has a feeling that something's not right. He has these horrible dreams. He looks into the mirror and there's this panel with like a white Martian face superimposed over the mirror, like signaling to the reader he doesn't actually see it. And the... Ending narration is he studies his own face in the mirror and the familiar terrible feeling swells in his gut and heart again. The feeling that he has somehow lost something of infinite value, a feeling so big and terrible it makes him want to cry. But of course he doesn't. He's a grown man after all with work to do. So Bob Gray checks his mail and he feeds his bird and he goes outside and he joins the human race. And that is the end of the story. Completely irrelevant random fun fact since we did Stephen King last episode. Uh, Bob Gray is one of the many names of Pennywise the Clown from It. Oh, all right. What do you think of the ending with The Martian? I mean, listen, you may not approve, but you don't know the culture. You weren't there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's, I just what really... What else do you do with these guys? That's fair. It's really... Really dramatic narration, like Morrison knows how to write, like just very prosaic, just hard hitting, like 
I just love the phrase and joins the human race like just this man just lives his life. He's just going about like we end on a shot of him. a firefighter, which implies to me that Jean has made them all like useful. He's made them useful and also they have to be around fire. He's. Oh my God, Which I suppose right. like hilarious. weakens them, like both torturous and also helps weaken them. There's just 70 like firefighters around the world who just like faint every time they actually try to save someone from a fire that's like anywhere near them. It's fun, but... I guess that stops them from accidentally discovering their superpowers and they're just regularly exposed to a fire. Yeah. Before all that, though, I want to note... Towards the end, you mentioned already them arriving at the Sahara Desert and, you know, everything's died out. The ecology wasn't sustainable. Shocking. Yeah. And we have the characters having conversation. Wonder Woman asks, where does that leave us? Are we doing too much or too little? When does intervention become domination? And Superman says, I can only tell you what I believe, Diana. Humankind has to be allowed to climb to its own destiny. We can't carry them there. Flash asks, but that's what she's saying. What's the point? Why should they need us at all? And then in a dramatic shot with all of the league in view facing camera, except for Aquaman, who's too cool to look at the viewer, Superman says, to catch them if they fall. They're actually all looking in a different direction, pretty much, except for like, kyle superman and wonder woman like batman's looking up at like something gritting his teeth thinking about what he's gonna do next i think john's eyes are closed i think he's just fallen asleep in the back i think that's just the shadow from his like forehead protrusion (laughs) it's funny if he's just fallen asleep because superman just does this speech thing so often sure i think this page is really important and just like wrapping up the whole thematic issue of what Morrison and Porter are doing with the question of how do you tackle real world problems in a superhero comic? And I guess you could like, you know, there might be a bit of variance in like how you interpret this, but effectively at the end of the day, it feels like a Morrisonian going, we're not going to actually try to solve real problems here. These are superheroes. They're here to save the day. We know better than to try and fit actual saving of climate change into a superhero comic. They're big. They have powers. They punch shit. We're heroes. We're going to save the day. Enough said. This is also all kind of a response to stuff like the authority, if I remember correctly. Like that's around this time, too. Yeah, it feels like a rejection both here and in the story in general and like conceptually this league feels like a rejection of 90s early 2000s sense of superheroes have to overcompensate you're the spandex everything needs to be dark and gritty and more realistic versus this is we're superheroes we're here to save people we're not gonna overcompensate we're here to be fun (laughs) And our two most overly serious characters are going to constantly be, like, jokes. Yeah. But still cool. Yeah. It's it's fun. This These comics are great. They're incredible. There's almost nothing wrong with them. <laughs> you know, like, even 
like as we've said, the things that are wrong, we've largely turned around and been like, well, Aquaman being a shit kind of works as humor. <laughs> you know, like it works as a parody. I need to read the rest of the like series again just to like track how like over the top the Aquaman stuff is. But that's definitely the sense that I get from like the couple pages he's in this. Yeah, feels like Morrison just like. I wonder how much was dictated versus choice of like the lineup and if it was literally Morrison being like, I have to use hyper serious Aquaman. What the fuck? Let I me think just Morrison wanted the seven, but just wanted like the current seven. First, we have the Flash and the Wally and Kyle. That makes sense. But then just the question of, well, Aquaman's one of them, but why is he so damn hyper serious? Let me make fun of that. Well, also, like, I think, like, two, like, a couple issues from now, they, they expand the league anyway, and Aquaman fades even further into the background, because why bother with Aquaman? Yeah, like, at least certainly why bother with an Aquaman that's so trying to not be silly that it becomes silly. But yeah, do we have any final notes about these comics beyond just, these are great? You should read them. This is just very classic, like, well executed i I mean this is if you've seen the justice league cartoon this is the other justice league thing that will hold up when you've seen that so read this this run is the best justice league comics has ever been and this story is a highlight among highlights really the main con is just wonder woman's boobs frankly yeah wonder woman is just underwritten she doesn't get enough to do and that is a problem, and I don't like it. Um, but that is also a consistent problem with Wonder Woman for almost her entire history as a character. So yes, that is a problem with this one, but it is also a problem with almost everything Wonder Woman has ever appeared in, unfortunately. Yeah, but with all that said, would you like to introduce next week's topic? Next week, we are heading directly into the Inferno with Amazing Spider-Man, I want to say it's 311 to 313. Yeah, 311 to 313. Uh, These are from 1989, and it is the Amazing Spider-Man tie-ins to the X-Men event Inferno. This is weirdly, I have realized, tying into the current Spider-Man X-Men crossover Dark Web, which is following up on plot points from Inferno. Yeah. Which is happening, like, right now. You've talked about these before, like, months before that was announced, but yeah, it's prescient, it it works. It's another case where I'm picking Spider-Man that I read as a very small child, specifically uh, issue 312 um, is one of the issues I got, that one trip to the comic store I got some single issues after having seen the first Spider-Man movie, and it's it's stuck and I still think it's good and Todd McFarlane art, but not being written by Todd McFarlane. So, you know, the best that could be. Yeah. So look forward to that. The week after that should actually be dinosaur sanctuary, which we announced before. So So, yeah, we will follow up on the five to 10 minutes. I spent freaking out at the end of last episode, (laughs) but yeah, next up Spider-Man and dinosaurs. Thank you for listening and bye. Bye. Oh, oh, oh.